This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Just when the GOP thought it was safe to reclaim the moral high ground, Madison Cawthorn emerges with a wild tale of cocaine-fueled orgies at the highest levels of the Republican establishment. In an interview last week with the Warrior Poets Society podcast, Cawthorn was asked whether the hit television show House of Cards was an accurate reflection of life in the nation's capital. Cawthorn responded by talking about the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington and suggested that he had been invited to an orgy by an unnamed lawmaker. Cawthorn also claimed that he had witnessed unnamed prominent figures in Washington doing cocaine. The sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes, you should come. And I'm like, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. And then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, wow, this is, this is wild. The backlash towards Cawthorn and the pearl clutching from outraged GOP House members has been fierce. This morning, Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn, under fire from members in his own party, after presumably linking GOP lawmakers to sex parties and cocaine. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has rebuked Congressman Madison Cawthorn over his eye-popping claims about sex and drugs on Capitol Hill. The story has prompted McCarthy to call a meeting with the North Carolina representative. A source with knowledge of the meeting told NBC News that Cawthorn had no evidence backing up his allegations. I just told him he's lost my trust. He's going to have to earn it back. And... Um, I laid out to everything that uh, I find is unbecoming and should, you can't just say you can't do this again. I mean, he, he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a lot of members very upset. According to Politico, lawmakers stood up unprompted and vented their frustration that their 26-year-old colleague from North Carolina would suggest that lawmakers leading on the movement to try and remove addiction would do a key bump of cocaine in front of you, or that people I've looked up to throughout my life in Congress had invited him to a sexual get-together at their homes, tattled Corthorn. The 26-year-old claimed on a podcast that people in Washington have invited him to sex parties and used cocaine in front of him. Several Republicans say that they are getting questions from their spouses about his allegations. Calm as a bitch, boys. After gleefully playing in the gutter for years, it seems that for the GOP, the chickens have come home to roost. And from one of their own, no less. According to Politico, members of the far-right House Freedom Caucus have reportedly considered kicking Cawthorn out of the group. And Republican Congressman Steve Womack of Arkansas, who is 65 years old, complained he is now fielding questions from constituents about orgies. What did you make of those comments? Well, irresponsible. Irresponsible. What he's saying can't possibly be true. I just think it puts us in bad light. In the Trump era, members of the Republican Party have pursued a near constant quest to see just how far they can push the bounds of acceptable political discourse. And the answer has routinely come back farther. That said, I think the problem here is that they will tolerate all manner of conspiracy theorists 
theories and all manner of things inappropriately said, as long as it's against Democrats. When it became about them, that was the bridge too far. And that is why Hawthorne is in trouble. Calling for the jailing of one's political opponent? Asking America's adversaries for political dirt? Trying to overturn a democratic election on the basis of lies about a voter fraud? All of these things have been kosher for today's GOP. Often, party leaders' initial unease gives way to helplessness or a lack of desire to respond or even an embrace of the provocations in the name of trolling the libs. Kevin McCarthy finally found something unacceptable to him. He didn't care if you go to a white nationalist rally, you go to a Klan rally, he doesn't care. But he's like, you said in-house we're having orgies with cocaine! But for once, a Republican House member has crossed what appears to be a political red line. He told tales out of school and violated the guy code that has governed Washington for years. That what happens in Georgetown stays in Georgetown and allowed folks to believe that some of his colleagues party like it's 1999. Because Madison Cawthorn seems like the guy in high school who's always bragging about the girlfriend at the other school that he has that you just haven't seen. Like, remember, this is the same guy who says, I was bringing weapons in during the insurrection and, and I'm at these wild parties and everything else like that. Matt Gates is isn't calling him to come hang out. Madison Cawthorn ain't in the cool club. So I think he was probably lying about this. Not to say that there aren't members who may engage in this behavior, but his propensity for running his mouth and exaggerating and conflating what may be stories versus what he actually experiences is a problem for the Republican Party. I'm not surprised that he's been shut down. I'm not surprised that some people are engaging in this activity. I don't think he's getting the phone call. Before you start looking for pictures of Jim Jordan in a gimp mask, first consider Cawthorn's track record of telling tall tales. He suggested House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who doesn't drink alcohol, is an alcoholic. He told MAGA personality Charlie Kirk that he carried multiple weapons with him to the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. When he ran for Congress in 2020, part of Cawthon's story was that he was headed to the United States Naval Academy as a high school senior before a car accident paralyzed him from the waist down. In reality, his application had actually been rejected well before his accident. He has boasted that he had an opportunity to compete in the Paralympic Games, but that too was total bullshit. But just because Cawthon is a fucking liar doesn't mean what he said isn't true. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, and Cawthon actually hit upon something quite true. Inside MAGA world lurks some world-class fucking sex freaks. I were a prosecutor in Washington, D.C., I would certainly be wanting to talk to him because he apparently knows about crimes. The sex orgies, well, are they... Matt Gates type, where there are young girls, that's illegal. If they're adults, well, maybe not, but cocaine is clearly illegal. I remember when the mayor of Washington, D.C. got indicted, got went to jail for cocaine. So why not members of Congress? Um, and the interesting thing is, let's focus on, it's clearly Republicans he's talking about because no Democrat is inviting him anywhere. So it has to be. And he also said he respected them. He looked up to them. Well, he didn't look up to any Democrats ever. So it's it's all it's just more of the ridiculous comments of Ted Cruz that you've had on. Um, it's it's just it's absurd. And the people on the other side. <laughs> 
Hashtag I believe Madison. Now don't even get me started on Matt Gates. Just close your eyes and say the words cocaine and orgy and you'll see Matt Gates's face. Say it four times fast and he'll appear nude in your living room like a fucking leprechaun or Beetlejuice. Now we've learned these parties were held at a house in a gated community in suburban Orlando. The women we spoke with said when some of the women arrived, there were rules. For example, the first thing some of them were asked to do was put away their cell phones. Now one of the women told us the attendees included a who's who of local Republican officials and often included Congressman Gates and these men just did not want their activities at these parties being documented. Now we're told people at these parties were often dressed up, coming directly from a political event, and we're told folks mingled and shared drugs, including cocaine and ecstasy. I mean, come on, who are these people fucking kidding? Donald Trump is a crotch-grabbing misogynist pig of the highest order. A man whose every sexual misdeed I cleaned up after for over a decade. Readers of my book, Disloyal, will remember the scene of Trump in a Las Vegas strip club enjoying a golden showers act. I'll leave it at that. But believe me, there's a lot more. A lot more. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the <laughs> I can do anything. Then this Roger Stone, whose presence on the swinger scene with his wife, Nydia, had been public knowledge for decades. I mean, the man was forced to resign as an aide to Republican senator and presidential nominee, Bob Dole, after a series of ads that the couple placed on swingers' websites and newspapers that were uncovered by the National Enquirer. I can tell you firsthand that these parties happen. I can tell you that they continue to happen. I can tell you that Madison Cawthorn told me yesterday that he had not retracted what he said, even though Kevin McCarthy seems to have popped up and is speaking now for the member of Congress, saying, oh, he admitted that he made, no, I don't think he's admitted anything of the kind. I don't think he's admitted embellishing uh, or retracted anything he said. Alex, he spoke the truth. The weirdest allegations pertain to former Trump campaign manager, Paul Manafort. In 2017, Manafort's daughter, Andrea, had her cell phone hacked and her text published online. They revealed her father's seeming obsession with forcing his wife, Andrea's mother, to engage in group sex activities, having sex with multiple other men while Manafort would allegedly film the activity. May I have the password, please? Fidelio. I mean, then there's John Bolton, the hawkish former national security director turned Trump nemesis with the walrus porn stash had been dogged by allegations for years that he was an orgy aficionado, frequenting the notorious Plato's retreat in New York City in the late 1970s and early 80s with his now ex-wife. Hi, swingers. We're Larry and Mary, co-owners of Plato's Retreat, the only on-premise swing club in New York. We're a couple's only private charter club. On our premises, we have three separate air-conditioned swing rooms, two whirlpools, disco music, and a lounge area. At Plato's Retreat, you can make your dreams come true. Fulfill your wildest fantasies, we've got them all for you. The pleasure and the fun will keep you feeling young. It's for you. It's for you. 
Plato's Retreat, located in the Ansonia Hotel, is a unique club open to free-thinking adult couples. We offer a relaxing, no-pressure environment, complete with heated swimming pool and that great disco beat. Now, I don't care what consenting adults do in the privacy of their living rooms or anywhere, frankly. I mean, let your freak flag fly, folks. But when you are purporting to represent traditional Christian values and align yourself with people and policies that seek to deny certain other groups basic human rights because you find their lifestyle objectionable, you can see where there's a certain rank of hypocrisy. Why do you think Kevin McCarthy reacted so viscerally to the accusation of orgies and cocaine when other members, you know, flirt with white nationalism or at a white nationalist rally do these blatantly racist things. But what was it about orgies and drugs that really drew a line? Well, clearly that was seen by McCarthy and by the rest of his caucus, by the way, which which uh, had a fairly raucous meeting to talk about Cawthorn's uh, uh, statement. That was seen as worse, actually, than going to a white nationalist rally, which, which is just like, you know, okay, you know, you be you, go to the white nationalist rally. The rest of the, the, rest of the party said, well, we wouldn't kind of do that, but but they did it. And, and you know, those, um, uh, look, the, the members of Congress that, that the Republicans, that Democrats uh, kicked off their committees like uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, uh, Kevin McCarthy says they'll have their committees assignments back. They'll be back on committees if Republicans take control. So um, none of that stuff is all that bad, uh, according to today's Republicans. But um, sex and drugs, that's another story. Is this why the GOP members are so up in arms? Not because what he said was bullshit, but because beneath the bullshit lurked a darker truth that nobody wants to talk about. Cawthorn's story about sexual perversions has made the rounds on right-wing conspiracy theory outlets like the Gateway Pundit and Infowars. This only served to inflame the QAnon crowd even further. The comments section lit up like a Christmas tree, with readers connecting his claims to Pizzagate, the wackadoo conspiracy theory that Washington power players sexually abused children in a Washington pizzeria. Others worried that Cawthorn could be murdered for his brave whistleblowing. I've been invited to these things. I haven't gone to them because I don't want to be, you know, whatever blackmailed or I'm not into that, I'm you know, happy. But, I mean, I've been invited not just to those. I've been invited to the really weird stuff, not with kids or anything, but with the whole occultic stuff. So I can tell you, folks, the eyes wide shut things go on as well. Oh, babe, people in glass houses should not be throwing fucking stones. That's for sure. The drama inside GOP circles did provide cover for the fact that the sky is beginning to fall for Trump world around January 6th. Even orgies and cocaine are better than the fact than what was revealed around Judge Carter's finding in the John Eastman case. A federal judge said last Monday that then-President Donald Trump, more likely than not, committed federal crimes in trying to obstruct the congressional count of electoral college votes on January 6th of 2021, an assertion that is likely to increase public pressure on the Justice Department to investigate the former commander-in-chief. It's a big deal, a president saying, more likely than not, the then-president of the United States committed a crime. 
This is a huge deal, and it's a really big win for the House Select Committee. Lawmakers have previously used this litigation over John Eastman's emails to lay out their theory of potential criminal conduct by former President Trump. In a previous filing, they argued that conservative attorney John Eastman and former President Trump engaged in a conspiracy to perpetuate a fraud against the American people by trying to overturn the election results. And here, moments ago, you have a federal judge agreeing, saying yes, it's more likely than not that they were planning a crime. So this is the first time you have the federal courts affirming that the former president may have engaged in criminal conduct. It's likely that this decision will embolden lawmakers to make a potential criminal referral to the Justice Department. The determination from U.S. District Judge David O'Carter came in a ruling addressing scores of sensitive emails that Trump ally and conservative lawyer John Eastman had resisted turning over to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot and related efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election count. Eastman wrote key legal memos aimed at denying Democrat Joe Biden's victory. The judge was assessing whether Eastman's communications were protected by attorney-client privilege and was analyzing in part whether Eastman, Trump, and others had consulted about the commission of a crime. Judge Carter's ruling does not mean Trump will be charged with a crime or even investigated. But the opinion will increase pressure on the Justice Department to intensify its probe of the January 6th riot and potentially examine the conduct of Donald Trump himself. While Attorney General Merrick Garland has vowed to hold accountable those responsible for the violent breach of the Capitol at any level, there have been scant signs that the Justice Department is directly investigating Trump's conduct. He also said, if the country does not commit to investigating and pursuing accountability for those responsible, the court fears January 6th will repeat itself. That responsibility to investigate and pursue accountability extends to those who hold the highest office in the land or those who hold no office at all. If no one is above the law, then no one must be above the law. We are upholding our responsibility. The Department of Justice must do the same. The ruling is also a win for the January 6th committee, which has been moving aggressively to subpoena documents and call witnesses. The committee voted Monday night to recommend holding two former Trump aides, former trade and manufacturing director Peter Navarro and former communications chief Daniel Scavino Jr. in a criminal contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with its subpoenas. The House will vote soon on whether to refer these two men to the Justice Department for possible prosecution. As Judge Carter concluded today, quote, Based on the evidence, the court finds it more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. Our committee will continue to litigate to obtain the testimony we need. We have already defeated President Trump's effort to hide certain White House records behind a shield of executive privilege. As the court said today, not today, but as the court said in that case, under any of the tests advocated by former President Trump, the profound interests in disclosure advanced by President Biden 
and the January 6th committee far exceed his generalized concerns for executive branch confidentiality. That same conclusion should apply to Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro. The noose is tightening and all eyes will soon be upon Merrick Garland to actually bring charges against the former president. I predict the coming public hearings will shock most Americans who have grown numb and inured to Trump's antics. What they have pieced together is breathtaking in its scope. We will see for the first time the whole iceberg and finally the totality of the conspiracy to overthrow this government will come into full view. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is none other than Norm Eisen. The former Obama administration ethics czar has been increasingly busy of late through his work for the Brookings Institute, helping to build the case against Donald J. Trump and safeguard the future of democracy. The former ambassador to the Czech Republic and Obama administration ethics czar is seemingly everywhere today, his bylines appearing almost daily in the Washington Post and CNN as he shapes the narrative of how justice can and should be served. In his latest piece, Eisen writes that there is finally a roadmap to hold Donald Trump accountable. And that's where we'll start today. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norman, on Tuesday, Trump called upon Putin to release dirt once again on Hunter Biden. Now, as you know, it's both stunning and absolutely predictable that Trump has absolutely zero scruples or compunction to call upon Putin, who is now waging war on a U.S. ally, to help him personally. So I have to ask you this because you would know the answer, and only you, Norm. How can the GOP continue to just bite their tongue as Trump repeats the same behavior over and over and over again like a petulant child? Uh, Michael, thank you for having me back on the podcast. It's one of my favorites. Uh, so I always, uh, I always love being with you. Um, uh, even when uh, our nation and its values are threatened by a foreign adversary like Vladimir Putin and his Russian regime. And when a former American president is giving aid and comfort to the enemy, it is so extraordinary, you know, where we, the uh, Biden administration, the United States, the NATO allies, are sanctioning and embargoing and trying to block Putin. Trump is saying, um, hey, um, I want you to trade in the most dangerous export of Russia, disinformation. He's trying to get dirt out there on his um, past and future political adversary. And it is appalling, Michael. It's a pattern. When I first met you, when we were working in the impeachment, of course, this is the identical, identical thing that got him impeached, right? He's at, there's a uh, demand on a foreign uh, leader 
for dirt on uh, Hunter and Joe Biden while in the midst of Ukraine-Russia hostilities. He tried it with Zelensky, got him impeached and tried, and now he's changing sides. He's going over to Putin to do the same thing. So uh, uh, no matter how low Trump sinks, there's always a lower point. And he's he's touched bottom again with this. You know, when I was in um, a brother at ZBT at American University, we always used to say to the pledges that they were lower than whale shit at the bottom of the ocean. I don't think there's anything lower than that, even Trump, to be very honest with you, because what doesn't make any sense, Norm, and again, I'm I'm coming to you for your knowledge, for your expertise, because I know that your, you. your ear is always to the ground on this stuff. So Trump shows up on some fakakta news shit called like Just News. Or, I mean, it's almost like the naked news is what the guy goes on, right? And he's, he continues to push this unproven claim about Hunter's business with, you know, and dealings with Russia and Ukraine and so on. So what doesn't make any sense to me is I'm not even clear that the material exists. I know that we've all heard about this computer that Rudy Giuliani had. It was confiscated um, during the FBI raid on his home here in, in Manhattan. And I'm not even sure whether or not that that story is true. And I, and I wonder whether you've heard anything about it. Is there a computer that was Hunter Biden's? Is there information about Hunter and Joe Biden and Burisma? Because, look, l- let me just go w- one step further here. I, have, I was out the other night for dinner with a buddy of mine. And he's an incredibly bright guy. Very, very successful. We should all do as, we should all do as well as he does. And he's sitting there and he's talking to me. And he says to me, does it bother you that... Joe and Hunter Biden have, you know, this business relationship with both, whether it was Ukraine and or Russia and and so on. And I said, where did you get this information from? Now, of course, this guy happens to watch Fox News as well as MSNBC and CNN, but he's 100% convinced. Is there really information out there? Is there really information on this computer? And if so, how come it hasn't been leaked? Well, um... First of all, you know, I saw the strangest uh, statistic the other day, Michael, that more liberals watch Fox News than uh, than they do any other cable newscast. I guess they do it. I guess it's hate watching. You know, it gets the blood pumping. Um, The Post is up this week with a story where they it took them uh, more than a uh, uh, half a year. They last year got this uh, computer drive and the drive looked like it was um, messed with in various ways, but they went through and attempted to authenticate and, and they were able to authenticate, um, uh, you know, a sm- relatively small percentage. I think there were a quarter of a million items on the drive uh, supposedly that was derived from Hunter's laptop of which they're able to authenticate. One expert could authenticate less than 20,000, another more than 20,000, I believe, approximate numbers. Um, So, you know, less than 10% authentication. Now, what they found on that drive was indications that Hunter Biden 
was uh, doing business with China, uh, but no real smoking gun, no there there. What about that other roughly 90% of the drive? Was it tampered with? Wasn't it tampered with? Is it Russian disinformation or not? You know, I have yet to see um, in all of this mess. And of course, I did a deep dive. We started with you. I think of the, uh, you know, the the impeachment story as having five chapters. We're now in the fifth chapter. Uh the first chapter is really, really, uh, uh, Michael, you you were critical in that first part, which was the Trump's relationships with Russia, the Mueller report, and you illuminated uh, so much of that. Then the second chapter was when we moved into the, the Ukraine scandal. The third chapter was the assault on democracy. The, which which Trump started and you know one six and we're going to talk about that today. The the next chapter is the assault hasn't stopped. The insurrection isn't over because all over the country, anti democracy bills and candidates, hundreds of them, inspired by the big lie. And now we're on the fifth chapter, Michael. And you know what the fifth chapter is? The twenty twenty four presidential election. Like, he's like Chucky. He's back. You went to American University. When I heard Trump's remarks the other day, I thought, oh, he's like the dean of un-American university. What could be worse than embracing Putin, who's basically in a proxy war with the United States now in wartime and asking Putin, setting up a quid pro quo with Putin? Russia, remember the campaign, Russia, you'll be mightily rewarded if you uh, have the Hillary emails. Same thing now. So I believe that this is all part, this laptop story, there's not too much there. Nobody has come up with any smoking guns on Biden at any of these, you know, not in this second chapter of the Ukraine impeachment, the third chapter of the supposedly stolen election, these big lie bills from coast to coast. So now he's trying again. He's limbering up. I don't think there is much there there in this laptop. But is it what bothers- Maybe it's bad for Hunter. But it's not, it, no, they're there for Joe. Right. So first of all, the comment that you're referring to was the infamous July 2016 comment when he said, Russia, if you're listening, right? And then, of course, urged uh, Putin to hack into Hillary Clinton's personal email. And they email. did that so, same day. Right. Yeah. That same day they started, Russia intensified its hacking activities. Right. Russia, if you're If you're listening. listening. Yep. You'll be mightily rewarded. It's the quid pro quo, Michael. You lived with Trump, right? Yes, yes. That I, unfortunately, him. that I did. But, you know, going back to this with the computer and everything, um, Marshall Cohen wrote an article for CNN uh, a while yeah. back and in it, right? And I'm, I want to quote something, but he, he this, is, this is their reporting. Now, again, you know, Trump will say fake news, fake news. It's quite frankly, it's all fake. It's all fake news, unless it's what I want them to say. It's just fake news, right? So, so <laughs> and what it says is, but no evidence has emerged to support Trump's claim that the Bidens engaged in corruption or influenced U.S. policy for personal gain, and the president hasn't been implicated in the probe. Now, Hunter Biden then, of course, goes ahead and he denies any wrongdoing. Says he'll be cleared when the criminal probe is over. First and foremost. I'm not even aware that a criminal probe has been started. 
But if, in fact, that Hunter Biden did something wrong, I want to be very clear. This program is not an anti-Trump program like some people may think. It is not, right? We're dealing with the news. Now, as I'm very forthright in saying, I despise everything the man stands for. And so I'm critical of him. But if we find that on Hunter, on Hunter Biden's computer that there's malfeasance or inappropriate actions being taken, you'll hear the same things come out of my mouth that I say about Trump for Joe review. Biden. We know that the government is, is looking at tax issues um, with respect uh, possible tax issues with respect to Hunter. And we're just going to we're just going to see how that whether that develops or not. Yours is not a this is not a uh, I don't think of it as an anti-Trump program. Maybe we can even find something good to say about him today. It's a pro-truth program. That's why I come back right. pro you are by, by the way, let's say that's let's say something. That's right. And all right, you want to say something? Let's say positive something positive about him. about him. If it wasn't for okay. him and for his lack of rules and procedure, we I don't believe that we would have the vaccination to COVID as quickly as we did. Huh? Interesting. All right, and he deserves is, under his administration. No, 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 under his administration, fair is fair. Um, the vaccination was released. Of course, the moron decided to tell people not to get the vaccination uh, and so on. It's not fully tested, refused to do what uh, George Bush, what Bill Clinton and Obama did, do a public service announcement showing that they got the vaccination. But thanks to thanks to Operation Warp Speed, right, by, you know, by its, pre by, you know, our, our president and, you know, chief um, uh narcissist and you know narcissist in chief uh yeah absolutely we ended up with the vaccination but i did just want to say one additional thing wait here. a minute <laughs> I, wait a minute i want to cut in here so you've said something positive uh about the domestic policy by the way i think uh operation warp speed was a good antidote to trump's uh tweeting which i think of as operation warped feed. So it was a good antidote. I'll say something positive on the foreign policy front that I think Trump built on decades of work by presidents of both parties and administrations of both parties in bringing the Abraham Accords okay. to fruition. You and I are both Jewish American Zionists with the emphasis on the American. Uh, and that is something that is very strong for our ally Israel and very good for the Middle East. So you see, we're not nobody can accuse us of being reflexive anti-Trumpers. There are things to be said. But, Michael, we have to admit that he was the most corrupt, the most uh, uh, venal uh, and the worst president in all of American history despite those occasional bright spots. Yeah, and look, and now, of course, he's trying to take credit for all of the military aid that... See, this is the problem. It's not necessarily the message, it's the messenger, and it's how he does it. 
$400 million. $400 million was supposed to be provided to the Ukraine, um, you know, in, what was it, 2019. And he decides that he's not going to give it. Held it up. Right. Unless That was the impeachment. That's correct. Unless that they turned around and they played along with his bullshit. But, you know, let me let me move on for a quick second here, Norm. Let's talk Do for it. a moment about the big Judge Carter decision that came down yes. this week, where Carter stated that Trump more than likely committed a criminal act. Now, I can, as you know, I've gone before 10 different committees. I've spent, you know, um, thousand, a thousand hours, whatever it was, giving them uh, tens of thousands of documents and so on. Uh, yeah, Donald committed a criminal act. But you wrote in a CNN op-ed, and I quote, that Judge David Carter's decision on Monday, finding Trump, and here's a quote, more likely than not, committed crimes, set out a roadmap for finally imposing consequences for the big lie. It does so by tackling the thorniest legal issues regarding Trump, his enablers, and the events in and around January 6th of 2021, and showing how they can be addressed by prosecutors. Now, there was a lot that said in that quote. So I'm going to ask you, Norm, as the writer... Would you unpack for me and my listeners what those crimes are and why this decision is so consequential and precisely what that roadmap might be? Well, Michael, you should have felt strongly validated uh, by the uh, decision of the judge because you were one of the first uh, and I think uh, most outspoken in pointing out that the events around January 6th were part of a pattern of criminal behavior by Trump. They were not some sudden uh, 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 breakaway, but they they were the uh, logical evolution, the culmination of things that you had seen, pointed out. I uh, volunteered information to me and the Judiciary Committee when we were starting the impeachment investigation, and you've been so outspoken, so you should feel very validated. And what I meant by that was, and and I know we're going to talk also, I assume we're going to talk also about you had one, you know, one development of great validation for your insights uh, and uh, your mea culpa tour, to borrow the name of the podcast. And you've had it, you know, we've had one outrageous apparent failure in recent weeks. Alvin Bragg, shocking, appalling, uh, based on what we know. We're going to come and talk about that. So yes, let's we most start certainly the- will. And it's, it's not just, <laughs> it's not just, it's not too. just disappointing. It's, be- it's bewildering. That. Yeah. But let, let's go back to this uh-huh. one because I really but like for you to unpack. Yeah. Let's start here. So here's what the judge did. He said, look, obviously this is not an easy case. And I do take exception to those who say, oh, it's easy. It's a slam dunk. There's very good friends, mentors, and teachers of mine who say it's easy, it's a slam dunk. And there are some who say, oh, prosecuting Trump criminally for what happened around January 6th is impossible, never happened. I think there's a middle ground. That's where I've tried to be, um, to say let there's, there's strong evidence. It's developing in the direction of liability. Let the process work. Let um, the, 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 the one six committee and DOJ do their work. Let's see where we end up. It looks like crimes to me. That's exactly where Carter ended up. And, and the value of his position was one, 
he focused on at the January 6th committee's urging, they asked him to do this. He focused on two very plain vanilla crimes. I don't favor, even though Stuart Rhodes was just uh, charged with seditious conspiracy, I don't favor the more unusual or outlandish crimes for investigating Trump for January 6th. I favor the more uh, vanilla ones like obstruction of an official proceeding. We did a lot of work on that in impeachment. I issued a 200 plus page Brickings report with America's leading obstruction experts on that. And I think, you know, plain and simple, what Judge Carter explained is there's a plausible case that Trump intentionally he knew he didn't win this election, Michael, and you've seen him lie over and over again. So you're not falling for his assertion. You can't prosecute me if I really believed I won. And what Judge Carter does, he explains all the reasons. Trump was told again and again, sir, you did not win. He was presented with the evidence. Nobody who heard from his own Department of Justice, his own uh uh, governmental experts could believe that they won this election. So criminal intent, Judge Far Carter finds, looking at the evidence, basically he says, Trump is lying. And you know, he's a very expert liar. You've seen behind the curtain, Michael, right? Where he, you wrote in your yes. You wrote in your wonderful book how he would tell bald-faced lies, and then the people would leave the office, and and he would uh, be proud of how he how he tricked them. So that's what he's doing here: criminal intent. That's for obstruction, uh, obstructing an official proceeding. Number two, Judge Carter explained there's also a conspiracy to defraud the U.S. 18 U.S.C. 371. More likely than not, why? Because um, uh, Eastman and Trump uh, were peddling, basically peddling a lie uh, and uh, distorting official procedures. Um, and there was an agreement to peddle a lie. And, and the opinion is so eloquent. And other stuff has been coming out this week, for example, that reinforces Carter. For example, we know Trump's infamous tweet, come to D.C., it will be wild. That was viewed as a signal to prepare for violence. How many times, okay? Norm, have and I told everybody Trump speaks have, in code? Right now, yes, Donald is in. Told the first time I met you, the first time I met you, I came to New York. You said when I was starting the impeachment investigation, almost a year before the uh, at the beginning of the year that ended with Trump's impeachment, 2019. I came to New York to meet you, to talk to you, to look at your documents before. Uh, you went to jail and uh, you said to me, Trump, you, everything that you said has come to pass, including that Trump will never leave willingly. And you said he speaks in code, Norm. You have to understand that you're going to investigate. Why this do guy. you think, Here's Norm, that so many of these law enforcement agencies, House, Senate, uh, House Permanent Select Committee, the Senate Permanent, the Judiciary, the House Oversight, you know, the AG, the DA, et cetera. Why do you think that they kept calling him? Because there's there's statements made by other people that taken by itself don't really mean anything. But when you take it 
in terms of how Trump thinks and you apply it to the context that it's talking about, Donald's not going to turn around and say, okay, I want everybody on January 6th to show up to the Capitol. We're going to storm the Capitol. We're going to beat up the police. Bring your your, um, zip ties, your bear spray, your firearms, your baseball bats. Bring it all and start cracking heads. He's not that stupid. He's stupid but not that stupid. Now, you know, in an NBC, in an NBC um, article that was written by Dan Barnes and Dara Gregorian, you know, I, I want to quote something here because this is exactly what U.S. District Judge David Carter wrote uh, about Trump as well as this lawyer, John, you know, his lawyer at the time, John Eastman. Um, and he wrote, lawyer. yeah, yeah oh, just a, he's just a top-notch guy. Every American And certainly the president of the United States knows that in a democracy, leaders are elected, not installed. With a plan this bold, President Trump knowingly tried to subvert this fundamental principle. Based on the evidence, the court finds it more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6th of 2021, right? I mean, he then further ordered the emails of um, Eastman, you know, in order to be turned over to the January 6th committee. This is extremely relevant, folks. This is exactly normal what you were writing in here. This guy breaks the law Every single day, and yet he's still at Mar-a-Lago stuffing his fucking face. He's still walking around and still bamboozling a whole group of GOP supporters and sycophants out of their money. And I scratch my head each and every day. Look, Norm, I talked to you about this, you know, off to offline, and um, we've spoken, you know, s- several times about it. I'm still fighting. With the Department of Justice, the Office of the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, about releasing to me information on my own case. I would like to know why he has not opened up an investigation into an unconstitutional remand of a U.S. citizen because they wouldn't waive their First Amendment constitutional rights. And people turn around sometimes, they write to me on Twitter or other things, oh, you know, stop bellyaching, stop whining. Understand that if they could do it to me, who's next? You, Norm, you're next. Or anybody that writes anything about the Fuhrer that he doesn't like. Next thing, you're going to have the FBI showing up and taking your ass to jail. Simply because that's what Donald wants. That's not the way that our democracy works. Well, Michael, uh, you know, we're all grateful to you. You're fighting for all of us. Um, Not everyone. uh, well, the listeners of this podcast, there's probably a few hate listeners, but the listeners to this podcast, of whom I'm one, are grateful to you for the battles you're waging. No, I'm, no let me and, ask you this. I got I to gotta throw one thing in here. So Hakeem Jeffries and Ted Lieu, they penned this letter in July of 2020. 18 months goes by. By coincidence, I happen to be on MSNBC with Alex Witt. And who's right before me but Ted Lieu. I said to her, you know, why don't you ask him whatever happened to that investigation? You, you certainly put your, you know, you put your face, your smiling face on MSNBC and CNN talking about this letter, um, you know, demanding that an investigation be open. By the way, 
If that investigation was opened and it showed that Bill Barr and Trump and a group of other people coordinated and did this, the guy's not going to be able to run for president again. In fact, I mean, that's such an abuse of office that I think the guy gets run out of the country. So I have multiple reasons why I'd like to see that investigation come out. But on top of that, they just they just dropped the ball. How do you drop the ball? Not once, but then all of a sudden, eight Six months, eight months later, they finally send a letter. Turn around, we apologize for the unexpected delay. What are you talking about unexpected? It's two years since the letter came out. Finally, if they give you a non-acknowledgement acknowledgement. How does something like this happen as somebody like yourself who's been involved in the system for just so long? Uh, well, Michael, the, um, you know, the, the, the justice system... Our system of government, as is well known, is highly imperfect. Uh, we had another illustration of this, and uh, and I, I think um, uh, to, for me it was one of the most distressing and most disappointing uh, when we got we saw uh, the Alvin Bragg's top prosecutor in the Trump investigation, where you've testified, you've been very outspoken publicly, his top prosecutor, Mark Pomerantz, say there was proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump committed financial crimes. You were the first to bring much of this proof to public light, did it in the congressional hearings and since. You showed me some of those documents when I came and met with you the first time, really, you know, essentially Trump keeping two sets of books. And Pomerantz resigns uh, because the case is not moving. And, uh, uh, you know, we have these representations Bragg is making that it's still going on. I say Bragg owes you, and I wrote it in the Washington Post. And all the other witnesses and me and the public and his constituents in New York, an explanation. Why does he say the case is still going when Pomerantz says it's not? That's another example of, uh, you know, the way it seems the justice system is letting us down. I was pretty upset about that one. Also, By the way, it's not just Pomerantz. It's also um, Carrie Dunn, who's general counsel also to the Dunn. DA. I mean, yes, another another Dunn. incredibly, um, you know, proficient and a real true professional, uh, you know, in, in the field. It's just terrible. But, you know, let, since we were talking about, you know, um, we were talking about Judge Carter and uh, John Eastman, let's talk for a moment about John Eastman, right? Because it appears that all roads are somehow leading to him. Now, from the White House to what just was recently revealed, you know, Jeannie Thomas, um, Clarence Thomas's wife, you know, I mean, literally Eastman, who prior to January 6th was really a rather obscure figure, and now he's become this gigantic flashpoint for the larger crimes surrounding January 6th and the attempt to overturn the election. Talk to me about this. Well, um, of course, I, um, I filed the uh, bar complaint. I was one of the filers of the bar complaint in my capacity as the... Uh, co-founder, executive chair of the States United Democracy Center, a bipartisan. My co-chair is former GOP governor and cabinet member, Christy Todd Whitman. So this is, and it was a bipartisan letter uh, with luminaries of both parties, Michael, uh, experts in ethics uh, to the California bar. 
to investigate Eastman. And after much toing and froing, the bar announced that in 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 reliance on R and other others' work, it was opening an investigation of Eastman. What Eastman did was, and there's ample evidence in the public record, he knows that he did this. Uh, he urged an unlawful plot to have the vice, then Vice President Pence, and Trump wanted this, to have the Vice President um, refuse to recognize lawfully chosen and voted for electors for President to have a 10-day hiatus to investigate fraudulent chain claims. Eastman admitted in his writings that this was a... Um, uh, that this would have been a violation of of, of law, uh, and uh, and uh, if that had happened, and there was a lot of pressure on Pence, and thank goodness Pence, uh, he's done plenty of bad things, but one good thing he withstood the pressure. Pence and his advisors withstood the pressure from Trump, Eastman, and others. Um, if he had buckled and done that, it would have put our country into totally un. Uh, charted territory and might have uh, 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 led to uh, dictatorship, uh, Trump hanging on to power unlawfully. If these perfectly good slates had been sent back to the states. So you need, you know, he was a legal enabler. He was a coup lawyer. This would have been a coup by law, would have been a perversion. Uh, and um, thank goodness, uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans alike stood up to it. Eastman should have his bar uh, license um, reviewed by um, California so that he can't do this kind of thing. And I'm pleased that they're investigating him. Yeah, well, and thank that's and a Carter lot of that's thanks said, to you. Yeah. And Carter said Eastman more likely than not committed uh, uh, a crime. 18 U.S.C. 371 conspiracy to defraud the United States because this was as our as we would say in Yiddish, it was a billball. <laughs> it was a made up story, Michael. Yeah, well, that that it is. But, you know, we have a secondary problem here, you know, with Jeannie Thomas. I mean, she's the wife of Clarence Thomas, who yes. actually, yes. you know, is the only dissenter in cases that are dealing with the insurrection. And so, you know, I mean, there's been a thousand articles written about, you know, how legal experts, you know, and uh, ethics experts, you know, all agree that he needs to, meaning Judge Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Judge Clarence Thomas, must recuse himself from any and all these insurrection cases. This is really a problem. Right. I mean, you know, he look, he's got quite a bit of sway that's going on there. I mean, they now do control, um, if you want to say, you know, with the three uh, recent appointees by Trump and so on. This is really it's a true problem, because if you can't even look, forget about the state courts or even the, the federal judges here in, in New York. They're, you know, everybody thinks that they're like a federal court judges. You know, they're they're political themselves, regardless of what they want to say. They are political. Nevertheless, this is the Supreme Court of the United States. And you have the wife of a Supreme Court justice. Right. That's involved in the January 6th insurrection. Uh, you know, as an ethics uh, expert, um, 
I spoke to Jane Mayer of The New Yorker, and I gave her my opinion when she, and she quoted my opinion <laughs> when she was writing the first big story revealing Ginny Thomas's ties to the January 6th events. And my opinion as an ethics expert is that any other judge in the country would be forced to recuse in any case relating to January 6th uh, on this evidence. And since I gave that opinion, the evidence has only gotten worse. And he ruled in the in the Trump v. Thompson case, he ruled on the disclosure of documents, documents that might have indirectly led to evidence of Ginny Thomas's involvement and his involvement uh, relating to January 6th. Now, what's his involvement? Now we know she was neck deep in the events of that day, uh, including uh, being present at what I refer to as the insurrection tailgate uh, on the ellipse. Um, and she was exhorting Mark Meadows uh, to uh, advance the uh, plot that uh, Judge Carter found was a conspiracy against the United States to defraud the United States, 18 U.S.C. 371. She was pushing it on Mark Meadows, pushing one of the main possible alleged co-conspirators, Sidney Powell, uh, on on Meadows. Um, And we know she says she talked in one of the Meadows texts, I talked to my best friend. Yeah, I saw that. Well, Trump, that's code. Who's your best friend? Clarence Thomas. Was he involved? So uh, he must recuse. And I think he committed a serious ethics violation by failing to recuse. Serious. You know, uh, Justice Fortas was once forced off the Supreme Court, lost his opportunity to be chief justice because of allegations of ethics improprieties, um, of... uh, of his financial entanglements. This is far worse. This is far, far worse. It has a financial aspect too. She's involved with those who funded, uh, helped fund uh, some of the, uh, some very troubling activity. So he's violated every canon. It is a very serious violation that he ruled on that case. And it's outrageous and, uh, you know, I think there should be consequences. Unfortunately, in the Supreme Court, as crazy as it may sound, there's no code of ethics. Yeah, isn't that You're funny? Free I, I heard that. On your own ethics. I heard that. I heard that. Um, that Supreme, uh, Judge Roberts was supposed to design one years ago, but it never went anywhere. But I want to ask you this, Norman. In yesterday's Plumbline blog, Greg Sargent wrote about how Trump used the January sixth violence as leverage against Pence. And I'm going to quote this. Most everyone not cooperating with the January 6th committee is helping shield Trump from public disclosure about what happened during that period. Now, you know, Raskin yeah. tells me that you wrote that's the key to the cover up. If you do me a favor, tell me how so. The reason that this failure to cooperate is the key to the cover up. Michael, it, it goes to where we started the podcast. The, you know, the Republican complicity with the MAGA faction in their party. Uh, If the 
Kevin McCarthy's and the Jim Jordan's and the Mark Meadows's uh, came forward, the senators who were talking to Trump, um, uh, the Lees, um, the Hawleys, if they all came forward and uh, gave their proof, uh, they would establish this same, help establish the same critical issues that Judge Carter dealt with. You're weaving it all together brilliantly <laughs> that Judge Carter dealt with, in his opinion, Michael, intent, right? They all offer because they were, how do you prove intent? You need witnesses who talk to the man on the day of the crime. What happened with the, in that 180 minutes plus of inaction while violence was occurring and Trump was reportedly cheering it on? What happened in that conversation? We need firsthand witness, not hearsay. What happened in that conversation with McCarthy where the Capitol's under attack and instead of Trump saying, I'll help you, he says, Kevin, Gee, I guess they care more about the election outcome than you do. I mean, he was, we talked about this. He exhorted this crowd to come to Washington. It will be wild. The violent actors who, by the way, I'm litigating against, the violent actors, the Proud Boys, uh, the Oath Keepers, uh, the violent actors took that as a signal. He uh, had, a Trump had a plan. He was going to try to get, Georgia, he pressed Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, tried to get the states directly to reverse. They wouldn't do it. Plan B was he was going to try to get Pence to flip the election. Pence wouldn't do it. Plan C, maybe we should call it Plan V uh, for violence, or Plan C for the corrupt conspiracy. He Plan C was if the state plan failed that Eastman helped cook, helped cook up. If the Pence plan failed, again, Eastman's fingerprints, we've talked about that. If those two failed, then that violent mob that he exhorted to come to Washington in his tweet, it will be wild. They knew the signal. They were ready. Then in his speech on the ellipse, he pulled the trigger. He's, he said, I'm paraphrasing, let's uh, we've got to fight. Um, they'll take our government away if we don't fight back. Let's march to the Capitol. I'll be with you. He pulled the trigger and then the bullet was fired. The Capitol was attacked in Plan C, Michael. And what did he do? He 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 watched for 180 plus minutes. Do you remember the numbers? At oh, I, yeah, it was 180 minutes. No, it's more. It's either 187, something like that. 187. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, 187 minutes. And 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 what's the and these individuals have that evidence. They have that proof because they talked to him during that time. Also, we got more evidence this week, Michael, uh, in the form of um the missing seven hours of White House call logs. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, it's like Rosemary Woods uh, uh, with Nixon, where she erased minutes 
Now we have over seven hours. There's no way that those call logs would not be created. He says he doesn't know what a burner phone is. We know the conspirators were using burner phones in plan V for violence, plan C, the third option. Um, and um, um, they, they even, Peter Navarro, another one of the, Cricket AIDS, who was held in contempt by the committee this week, had a name for it. What did he call it? The Green Bay Sweep? A part of this plan, the Green Bay Sweep. So it has all the elements of a conspiracy. And now, thanks to Judge Carter, we know how you can prove the intent element on Trump. So I just want to go back to you because you were saying, you know, you have to listen to the words that Trump says. And this is something, again, whether it was your committee that you were working on or any of the others that I dealt with. I want to give you, for example, these are Donald's words, right? If this happened to the Democrats, there'd be hell all over the country going on. There'd be hell all over the country. But just remember this, you're stronger, you're smarter, you've got more going than anybody, and they try and demean everybody having to do with us, and you're the real people. You're the people that built this nation. You're not the people that tore down our nation, right? What's he doing here? He's egging you on. He's making you feel elated. You're the real people. Everybody else is fake. And they're taking something from you. They're stealing something from you. Then he goes on to tell them, I'll see you at the Capitol. So how do you not derive from that the intent that he wanted them to go to the Capitol? He wanted them to protect themselves. You're not talking about a group of legal scholars going there. You're really talking about a bunch of mental midgets, right, who are <laughs> really have real serious, serious problems, real psychological, psychological problems. pygmies. Right. And now, now all of a sudden he's telling them, they're all demeaning you. They're making fun of you. They're taking away your nation. They're, they're stripping you of something, and he's riling them up. Now, all of a sudden, you get this, this group of, of garbage that goes, to the, that goes to the Capitol, and all you need is a handful of guys to start with the bullshit, you know, throwing shit at the police officers, you know, hitting them with bats and sticks, breaking the windows, trying to get in. And then it's it becomes, you know, monkey see, monkey do. The rest of them all go in. One guy decides to go into the corner and take a shit on the floor. Now you have a half a dozen of them, you know, crapping in their own hands and spreading feces all over the walls and the, and the paintings. This is the group that he's talking to, and he understands how to rile up a crowd. It's, listen, that's his superpower. He actually knows how to do it. Fortunately, you might have seen that that crowd number, right, is really diminishing. You may have seen it in Louisiana and a recent rally that he did. You know, you had people fast asleep because they're tired of the same old story. But, you know, listen, I, I digress. I want to ask you to explain something that you just, that you just brought up. If you'd explain to my listeners how the pattern of emerging evidence establishes the criminal intent, especially in regards to how Trump and his team were warned that the January 6th um, you know, attack would turn violent. Well, the, um, the, you know, there's a plethora of evidence that they knew 
it would of the of the great danger. Michael, why did Trump? Act, why did he say he was going to march on the Capitol, and then he didn't? Because he knew what was going to happen there. What is the meaning when he says "will be wild"? That's obviously a wink, a code word for violence. There were debates about having the National Guard at the ready. We're still trying to determine, did Trump not, did he withhold adequate help? Uh, uh, did the people in the Pentagon withhold adequate help based on not wanting to intimidate uh, or hamper Trump's followers who would be tackling the Capitol? So I think there's a lot of, and we're still, remember, we haven't had yet the, a single uh, um, one of the main hearings uh, with witnesses that the committee is going to have. We don't have the committee report all of this evidence. We just have the tip of the iceberg. So, yes, I think we're going to see that Trump knew that it was his that if the state plan failed, uh, if the, his litigation failed. If his efforts to pressure Pence failed, the last resort was a violent attack on the Capitol to get what he wanted to try to slow things down. Giuliani was calling senators and uh, and members of Congress during the attack saying, hey, let's just stop this. Let's slow it down. Let's delay it. That was plan V for violence. Plan D for delay, Plan C for conspiracy. And that's the story of Trump's attack. And thanks to the 1-6 committee, thanks to Judge Carter, thanks to you, Michael, because you have been very outspoken in warning about this mentality of Trump. Uh, and thanks to so many others who are working on this, we are getting to the truth of this conspiracy to attack the United States. And, Good. Well, let's hope uh, that let's hope that this that this happens sooner than later. But this brings me to my next big question for you, Norm. Yes. What are the chances that Merrick Garland brings Trump up on charges? And then what type of what type of time do you think that he could face? And I ask you this question because I have zero zero confidence in Merrick Garland. Zero. I start when I first heard he was going to be attorney general. I don't think there was a bigger cheerleader out there for him. I expected that he was going to try to undo all the damage that Bill Barr did. I have no confidence in him at all or, or his entire office. So what are the chances that the so far, you know, do nothing Garland is going to actually do something? Uh, well, um, the greatest likelihood of action, um, I think, at this point, I would have told you a month ago. It was, uh, you know, as it's it's a in my view, there's as Pomerantz said, proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Trump, um, that Trump committed, uh, uh, basically kept sets two sets of books. That's the simple case. You know, he's saying things are worth one thing, one value, a lower value when it uh, comes to paying taxes. And he's saying it's a higher value when, when that's helpful for loans and insurance. You can't do that in America. And New York has statutes like their Books and Records, records statute. And I think Pomerantz is right. So um, 
let's put that to the side for the moment. I hope the DA will change his mind still and, and we'll ex- start by explaining what his thinking is. There is a precedent to explain. The next most likely, though, I put my main hope in um, in uh, the Georgia DA, Fannie Willis. And, you know, Judge Carter out in California also specifically, he's no dummy. He pointed out the Georgia violations. Just find 11,780 votes, Trump said. One more than he needs to win that don't exist, Michael. Trump knew he was lying. He was stealing when he did that. Uh, He knew the exact number, didn't he? So that's the, you know, there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of uh, uh, evidence like his knowledge of the exact number. Um, so I put a lot of hope. There's a special grand jury coming. Maybe you'll have me back uh, in May when the special grand jury sits. I've written a big Brookings report analyzing all the evidence in Georgia. We're going to do a second edition of that this year. But I don't rule out Merrick Garland. Let me tell you what I think is happening. I believe he's Um, very methodically moving in the direction of building a case. This week, there was a big front page Washington Post story that the investigators in the January 6th insurrection are now moving, DOJ, FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, moving from looking at the uh, violent acts on January 6th to the planning and the funding of those acts. Well, Michael, how can you look at the planning and funding for January 6th? We've just described the evidence that says January 6th was plan C and D and V. how can if you're if the if they're looking at the planning and the funding, and we know that the funding that the people who were funded uh, uh, and involved in, 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 in the funding, deriving the funding, were those who had deep Trump associations, people from his campaign, people who'd raised money, contributed, who'd worked for him or worked in the White House, like Katrina uh, Pearson. Pearson. Um, so if all of this evidence, was she in the, she, she worked in the White House? She worked, she worked in the, in the, cam, in the campaign. In the campaign. She was very, yeah, she was very involved during the campaign. Right. She never worked in the White House, am I wrong? Not that I'm aware, not that yeah, I'm okay. aware. Okay, so I'll correct Katrina Pearson, who worked as a campaign aide for him, who you know well. So when, if you're going to look at the, uh, if you're going to look at the planning and the funding, you know, the trail is going to lead you back to this plan ABC that I've described. Attack, A is attack in the states and in court. When that failed, plan B is get Pence to make his bogus assault. And then plan C, the conspiracy to attack on January 6th. If, if, if DOJ is looking at that, then it's going to lead them to Trump. I've known Merrick Garland for a very long time. Good. Uh, call him up and call him up and ask him to find no, out how come I can't the get the DO. How come I can't get the DOJ to do that job? But I, he you know, I, I want to jump. Uh, yeah. He, he wouldn't, wouldn't take, take the, the call. Wait a minute. Just because let me he's probably, he's probably with Ted Cruz in Cancun. No, he's not. He's not. He's a good man. He's a, he was, he's a very fair adjudicator 
And he's going to look at the evidence he said, and he means it. I know him, so I know he means it. He's going to look at the evidence and he's going to, if the evidence is there to prosecute Trump, he is going to prosecute Trump. So, you know, I'm putting my main hope. There's an investigation going in Georgia. I was hopeful for the Manhattan DA. I hope that comes back. But I think if the evidence develops the way we think it is, Michael, the way we've talked about on this entire podcast, that podcast is like a primer on Trump's involvement in criminal activity on January 6th, um, which you warned me of. You warned me of years before it happened. I did. I did, except they've had over 500 people testify. They have millions of documents. They have everything that they need. You know, this is like the proverbial beating a horse to death. The horse is already dead. If you bring the fucking indictment, the guy will go to jail in an orange jumpsuit that will match his face. Plain and simple. But I want to bring I bring that up because. I got to go back to Alvin Bragg because I, like everybody else, especially everyone that I'm talking to, we are all not just utterly perplexed. We are pissed the fuck off that Alvin Bragg decided, right, to drop these charges against Trump. I mean, we, we just are. And let me be very clear. Like when I provided you with the information that you saw and you were like, holy shit, right? I provided about 10,000 documents to Mark Pomerantz, Carrie Dunn, Cy Vance, obviously. They, they've been dealing with me while I was still in Otisville. They came up three times. I've met with the DA's office 15 times. Now, Mark, Mark Pomerantz, who has put away much bigger fish than Donald Trump, I'm talking about, um, you know, I mean, massive, massive people, you know, felt strongly enough that there was so much evidence there that he decided to quit. The part that I am so perplexed about is the fact that you have all of this information. Alvin Bragg comes in. He's not even in for two months, decides there's not enough money. There's not enough, uh, there's not enough of an issue here, right? Well, that we don't have enough to show intent, in terms of what he did with money and how he inflated and deflated, that we cannot convict. And my point when I spoke to different people is that I don't think Alvin Bragg understands what the job of a district attorney is. The job of the district attorney is not to convict. It's to prosecute. And if you have somebody like Mark Pomerantz, you have Carrie Dunn, the two lead guys working on this for two years, telling you if we indict, We'll put him before a jury, and we're pretty certain there will be a conviction. The guy drops the case then, and I know he dropped the case because they returned a bunch of documents to me that are really damaging. What's, what's happening here? Uh, Michael, um, I share your frustration. As you know, I've written a long... Brookings analysis. I think it's the most comprehensive one out there. Um, looking at the evidence and the law and pointing out the substantial risk uh, of uh, legal violations. Um, now we have uh, uh, Dunn and Pomerantz's public disagreement in the form of walking away. We have the Pomerantz letter. 
uh, saying that there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We have the fact that Vance, media reports that Vance had approved charges. I I think it's befuddling. I reject the notion that Trump somehow got to brag. Bragg is a good man, good person, wouldn't wouldn't be subject to that kind of illegality. Um, but um, uh, but because this is so disturbing, so contrary to the evidence, I think it's incumbent on Bragg. I wrote for The Washington Post explaining why the usual ethics rules of silence. Ethics points the opposite way here, as Preet did when he decided not to bring charges based on the Moreland Committee evidence. Um, and it is time for Bragg to explain because uh, all the explanations are in, that we can dream up are in, insufficient. It's a good case. It's a case that should be brought. It's an outrage. But I'll only leave us because I know we're at the end of our of our hour together, I'll only, I don't like to end on a down note. So let me say on an up note for you, for your readers, that that your listeners and your readers, because you had a number one bestseller. Yeah, I'm gonna have another another one coming out real soon too, (laughs) called the Department Department of Injustice. And no one's name is left out of that book. I can't wait. I have a book coming called Overcoming Trumpery. Uh, that <laughs> tackles some of the similar issues. So we'll trade manuscripts. Can't wait for yours. I want to leave on a positive note. Whatever failures or insufficiencies Bragg is exhibiting, and let him explain, let him justify what he's done, the inexplicable and the unjustifiable. Um, I don't think D.A. Fonnie Willis in Georgia... Fulton County is a similar kind of a uh, a, a flop. She's tough. She's proven her willingness to, for God's sakes, Michael, she prosecuted teachers in a RICO conspiracy, the Atlanta teacher cheating scandal. I don't think she's convening the special grand jury and made a flinch. And while I'm looking forward, the, the evidence is gathering of federal reviews, federal uh, investigators closing in. The New York Times also reported that the a grand jury is looking at the phony electoral slates. Again, that tightens things up, tightens things up on Trump. Um, I do think you're going to see action in Georgia. So um, we'll we'll visit again uh, when that special grand jury sits, when or after. I hope you'll have me back. I'll uh, always I have you always- back. I always learn so much talking to you, Michael. Norm, it's Norm, terrific. I, I know, I know you're a positive, upbeat guy. It's why I like you so much. One of the problems is I'm not, right? And I really want my listeners and I want those that are fans and those that aren't to understand just how much trouble the country is in, how our democracy is in peril. And every single time that Donald Trump seems to escape a lawsuit seems to escape like what D.A. Bragg did. It emboldens them. It empowers them to continue to believe that he actually is Teflon Don and that all the stuff that is being brought against him is improper. It's unjust. It's part of the witch hunt, which he created, you know, that whole that whole notion. It's all fake news. Not only did D.A. Bragg do this, but so did the Southern District of New York. 
They did the same thing as well when they turned around and they dropped, there were like 12 or so sealed indictments regarding the same things that they were coming after me against. Let's not forget, I went to prison in part because I paid Stormy Daniels, right? At the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. But no, they let everybody else go. So every single time that the guy gets a break and the guy has like not nine lives, he has like 30 lives so far. <laughs> we need somebody. It's and amazing. I was, I, out of all of the cases that I participated in, and you know, whether it was Mueller, whether it was, you know, um, your committee, any of the committees, yeah. the one that I provided the most damaging evidence to it's is terrible. the Attorney General, Tish James, who, thank God for her, and well, D.A. Bragg. Going. That's yeah, right. Bragg, so, terrible. So, well, terrible. Michael, I hope that your pessimism is, uh, uh, is lifted up a little bit and my optimism is justified by developments that we'll see in Georgia and on the federal level, including the New York Times report this week, grand jury on the phony electoral slates, that and the investigators on the federal side looking at the planning and funding of January 6th. Uh, those are uh, uh, all signs that despite his genius for evading justice, the Teflon eventually, Michael, Teflon wears off every pan. And the same is going to be true here. It's been so great being with you again. Thank you, Norm. I will see you again soon. Bye, Norm. And now for today's mea culpa. In thinking about the outrage from GOP lawmakers sparked by Madison Cawthorn's allegations, I can't help but be sickened. Not by the idea that some of these men and women might enjoy group sex or the occasional toot again. Big fucking deal. Instead, what it reveals is the real priorities of this mob of jackals. When Marjorie Taylor Greene spouts off about Jewish space lasers or appears with an avowed white nationalist, it's a slap on the wrist. Even Paul Gosar's snuff video fantasies of murdering AOC only caused a few days of uproar, and most of it was from the other side. But now that Cawthorn implicates his fellow congressmen having orgies, do these congressmen finally go haywire? I mean, they're perfectly comfortable through trampling over the Constitution and supporting a coup to keep a pig in office who thought of himself as a world-class Lothario because he could grab him by the crotch. Racism? No fucking problem. Lying? Hey, that's all good. Authoritarianism? Why not? But hint at the sexual proclivities of congressmen, and it's a crisis. But they wouldn't be acting this way if the MAGA base wasn't up in arms. And that's the real issue. They don't really give a shit if their congressman stands next to a neo-Nazi. Hell, that's probably why they voted for him. But implicate them with sin and you risk pulling the whole house down. These people have built very tidy, compartmentalized lives that allow them to preach hate while believing they are helping the greater good. There's a sickness in this country worse than the pandemic and it clings to the souls of these men who will stop at nothing to burn down the last vestiges of our pluralistic society in favor of something more inward looking. I'm telling you we're headed towards the Handmaid's Tale. This is just the beginning and thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. 
Executive producers Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Thank <laughs> you.